Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, AlScoop.com's podcast. Season 9, Episode 7. I'm AlScoop.com editor John DiCarlo, joined today by Declan Landis and Rymir Vaughn. No Johnny's Wizlack, no Kyle Gauss. No. Their whereabouts are currently unknown. Well. As far as we know. Yeah, I was going to say. I think we know where Johnny should be. Yeah. So that's mm. a good part. Mm. Well, we know that you guys have a lot to react to. After last night's Temple football game, which was not much of a game, 48-26 loss for the Owls, we'll get into that, uh, talk some basketball mailbag questions if you have them, which we do, and it's going to be a mailbag-heavy episode of The Scoop because uh, we want to be here for you guys in your time of need, and uh, everyone's upset, understandably so. The Scoop is brought to you all by Greenspan and Greenspan Injury Lawyers. As always, if you have been injured while on the road or the highway and the crash was someone else's fault, the insurance company will not be on your side. You need us, Temple Law Grads, who will fight hard to get the compensation that you deserve. We only get paid if we win in Pennsylvania or New York. Call us today at 215-261-7359. That's 215-261-7359. And you can find them on the web at greenspans-law.com. That's greenspans-law.com. Dot com. Uh, I want to say again, as we did last week, that the Temple community is, of course, still continuing to mourn the late Joanne Epps, Temple's president. The service today, where they had the chance to be there in person or watch it online, was really, really beautifully done uh, over at the Leah Chorus Center. Uh, Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro, whether you heard him speak, uh, Temple's interim president, Dick Engler. Uh, it was a treat to hear Elmer Smith, former Daily News columnist, talk about his friendship with Joanne and, and her family. Just a lot of touching tributes there. And obviously the campus, her family, this whole community is just really, really mourning the loss of her. So again, we want to just extend our deepest condolences to her family and, and everyone else who just really knew her so well and, uh, and all the people that she impacted in her life and she'll certainly, certainly be missed so as we're recording on a friday we want to acknowledge her passing once again and again just just let her family know that we're we're thinking of thinking of them during this time guys before we get to this the glorious football game that was played last night on national television yes that's, that's uh, a word. famous famous number sevens michael vick oh, man sorry that was giving me mine declan just has like it, it, did you ever notice that everybody takes Declan's pick. <laughs> no, that's which like, leads you to be a little suspicious of him, no, right? That was genuinely oh, I was that's, that was going to be my guess. Oh, I'm I'm out of answers now. Whoa. Okay, how how's this? I believe Michael Franco was seven. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm done. Go. That's all I got. Um, a lot of other famous sevens. Ron Jaworski. Jaws. Jaws. I'm just naming Eagles. The owner point. of my, you know, favorite arena league football team back in the day. Philadelphia Soul. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ah. John Bon Jovi was part of that. That's that right. I forgot too. about that. We heard uh, we heard a Bon Jovi song or twelve when we were up at, at covering the <laughs> Temple Rockers quite game. A few. <laughs> but again, quite you got to you got to play to your strengths. My mom was we, devastated. I didn't go to Syracuse because his son goes there. That's why she was devastated. I believe so. Hmm. I don't know that she was devastated. That's a strong word. Are there other ways in which you've disappointed your mom? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, Declan. Yes, there <laughs> probably are. <laughs> another probably podcast, are. another time. <laughs> Kyle that's a summer episode. Kyle would have liked that if he was here. Yes, that's a great question. But again, we don't know where Kyle is right now. No. Am I? Parts unknown. Parts yeah. Unknown. Mickey Mantle, number seven. Mm. I know that name. That's one. Yep. DeAndre Swift at Georgia. Yeah. Seven. Yes. Baseball. Mickey Mantle. Sorry. My brain's catching up. I already said Mickey Mantle. Right. No, I was reacting to your saying Mickey Mantle. We're, we're not exactly sharp out of the game. <laughs> Sweet, are we? No. It was a long hey, night. And you, know who, and you know who else wasn't sharp out of the gate? Oh! Great segue. Great segue. Give him the clap. Give him the clap. Wait, which one is it? I don't remember which one it is. It's the green one. There you go. Yeah. No, the green one was the sad one. <laughs> that was a hell of a segue right there, That was there, great. Right? That you was killed perfect. that. Yeah. Now, and, and uh, in all seriousness, that was uh, that was a disaster last yeah. night. And we had been saying leading up to this game, I, I think Kyle had said this on Twitter, I think Zach had it in his preview, and not for hyperbole or anything, but this was really one of the most important, if not the most important game of Stan Drayton's tenure because – you go to and through through non-conference play. He made the decision, and I think rightfully so, to rest. You know, they were, they played without four injured starters last week. So Rich Rodriguez at center, Dante Wright at receiver, Jalen McMurray at corner, uh, Mandy Rigby, who did not play last night, so he's still out. They lost Alex Odom late in the game. He came back and played last night. And granted, yes, it was a short week, but this was their chance to come out and say, okay, We've learned from the Miami loss. We've learned from the Rutgers loss. And, and they were just ill-prepared. Mm-hmm. That was bad on all fronts. It yeah. was a disaster on all fronts. And and now, not only that, just with the bad luck with injuries, Alan Hay, your one difference-making, I don't want to say your one difference-making player, but that's a, that's a defensive line that's not deep, uber-talented. The more talented position groups on that on that defense are the linebackers and, and the secondary, but... I don't know if we can say that after last night, but now it looks like Alan Hay is out potentially for a long time. We won't have, you know, an official word on his injury until Monday, unless now sometimes players post their own injury news on social media. I'm not saying he's going to do that, but that's a really, really tough development for him. He had a sack in the game and obviously looked like he was in a lot of pain coming off the field. And it looks like they, they, had an injury to Ahmad Anderson late in the game. We don't know any official diag- you know, diagnosis or, or official word on his injury, but my goodness. I mean, they, they moved the ball in that opening drive, couldn't score, couldn't score a touchdown, get three points out of it, and then it was all downhill from there. The offensive line couldn't move people again. Jalen McMurray was back, but didn't play well. I mean, Jalen McMurray and Eilish Clark getting beat on the first two Tulsa touchdowns. I mean, bad angles, bad pursuit, bad tackling by the defense. They did not look like a prepared football team. And I think that's a really, really bad response coming out of your non-conference schedule. And maybe maybe Tulsa was better than we gave them credit, credit for. You know, I mean, I, don't, I certainly don't want to take away anything from them. They looked like they had a great game plan. I mean, Cardell Williams played a, a yeah. damn near flawless game. 14-17, really 244 good. yards, three touchdowns. 90 yards on the ground, did not look like a true freshman. And I think it's fair to say that the whiteboard in my office is going to fall on Declan now. Wow, Ramirez, I can't believe you would do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, what I was going to say, I think it's it's 
Um, also fair to say that, look, I mean, they, they're again, they were very similar coming into this game. They had beaten an FCS team. They would beaten a MAC team. And then they got handled by two ranked opponents. And so maybe they had a lot more to show than people thought they were capable of. But Temple was not prepared last night. And that is not a good sign for this staff. I mean, five year now, 17 games into the Stan Drayton era. I realize they're still building. I realize they're still developing. But I don't know who's developing now like the line has not gotten better the secondary has gotten worse they look like they really really missed EJ Elliott as their defensive coordinator I'm going to turn this over to you guys and then like I said a lot of this a lot of this this podcast is going to be us taking on mailbag questions here the postgame audio from last night was three minutes on zoom yeah. with Stan Drayton on a bad connection there's no yeah, great a lot of it was I can't hear you yeah I can't hear you. a lot of a lot of yeah. not, not really any discernible audio to, to pass along to you guys. But again, I, I know I keep saying it and I'm not saying it to be hyperbolic, but last night was a disaster. Agree? Disagree? Is there anything to be optimistic about or no? 1000% agree that it was a disaster. I said it in the offseason. I say it for the football team and both basketball teams. Progression. I just want to see progression. Like mm-hmm. that is the number one thing when it comes to, you know, a rebuilding program. You you need progression. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. They first off, the lackluster performance against Akron coming out very slow. And if they don't get things going offensively, they lose that game. Now I know if 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 my grandmom had wheels, she'd be a bike, right? So you can't really say if. But um that was a clean version of what people typically say. <laughs> Is that true? What? If somebody had wheels, would they be a bicycle? They could be yeah. a car. They could be a bus. But we don't anyway. have to break that down. Yeah, That's no, no, sorry. No, no. Ramir was, had some momentum there. I need to pose a question. Yeah. Ramir, go ahead. After you were so rudely interrupted by Declan. That's funny. We all paused. <laughs> like I was saying, you just you need to see progression. After that lackluster performance, you know, the high hopes of a bowl game kind of – dwindled down a little bit after the Akron game and then for them to go and get smacked by Rutgers and then get smacked by Miami. I, at this point, I can't even count Norfolk State because that's that's an outlier at this point. They they haven't been able to run the ball. One um, rushing first down last night. And again, I get it. You're not going to – we didn't expect them to run the ball in Miami. That's no. a top five rushing defense Number in two. the entire country. They're second now. But this should have been a game – where you came out, and again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, vault Luke Watson two years into his development or any other player on that line, but with, yeah, with the exception, you know, like Victor Stoffel, Rich Rodriguez, those are older guys, Wisdom Quarshi, but one rushing first down. This should have been a game where you could move them a little bit, and they didn't, yeah. and so now. Again, like we've, how many times did we say this last year? Is it the backs running through contact? Are there just not a whole lot of running lanes there? They had something going on that first drive that they really didn't recapture until the second half. But by them, I don't want to say they were behind by too much, but just enough where the game was pretty much out of reach. But I mean, you could you could pick a lot of of stats last night. But one one rushing first down on offense, in addition to all the all the yards they. They gave up 533 yards of total offense. I don't want to say that I, I couldn't have expected something like this, but I didn't expect it to be bad. I thought that was a winnable game. Again, maybe Tulsa was better than we thought, but just a poor, poor response 
all around. What what surprised you guys more than anything last night in a 22-point loss that was not even really that close? What surprised you guys as much as anything in terms of the ineptitude, the struggles, and everything that contributed to it? What surprised you the most? I think it was the secondary. Just mm-hmm. the secondary did not look good at all. And it's, you know, it wasn't even like the, the you know, Ben Osweke who's given up a couple big plays mm-hmm. this season, like Dominic Hill, who's a little less experienced. It was Jalen McMurray getting mm-hmm. beat. Like it was Taiwan Francis getting beat. Like it was everybody in that secondary was struggling. And I think that shocked me more than anything because I think of obviously the, the offense did not play well, couldn't keep up. Right. But I think that's what took them out of the game was those big plays because then they had to kind of drop back more and then it opened up the you know, Cardell Williams to, to see the field a little better. Like it, it just, I don't know. Cardell Williams looked really, really good yesterday. We were talking about this late last night, you know, as, as, uh, uh, you know, as we we're about to like post the, the game story that you guys did, I mean, that was like on that first touchdown, really nice throw, but what happened to Jalen McMurray in coverage there? He just got twisted and turned around and I, he could have played that better. Right. Yeah. It just didn't look like he got his head around in time and it was back shoulder, Beautiful ball. Cardell Williams threw a beautiful ball, beautiful mm-hmm. back shoulder, and Marquis' shoulders turned, like, adjusted well, made the play. Mm-hmm. Um, McMurray was a little ahead, and he just didn't – he didn't turn his head around in time. And it wasn't – like you said, like, he was getting beat too, and this is a guy who no one has thrown at this year. He He's given up a couple, like, maybe, like, 10, 15-yarders, probably, like, once or twice. I forgot mm-hmm. what game it was. But besides that, no one has really thrown the ball to McMurray's way and they went at McMurray yep and with with a fair amount of success Elijah Clark has had his fair his fair share of struggles at Temple I mean that second touchdown like you said he got beat off the line yeah that was bad it was immediately immediate like just it was just giving chase there was another deep ball last night where um where Jacob Hollins was caught in coverage you know a linebacker on a receiver I know that's not super uncommon but yeah not ideal EJ Warner, 27-49 passing, two touchdowns and a pick. On that one fourth down try, he had Darvon Hubbard right there and just didn't see him. I get the quarterbacks. Every quarterback misses open receivers, but he had somebody else too over the top watching that. Some I forget yeah. who it was. Ahmad. Somebody was a it was Ahmad mm-hmm. was in the slot and beat the safety and the corner on the outside and it would have been a touchdown. Like it wasn't even a walk in like you had said for Darvon. Like it was a touchdown <laughs> if he makes that. <laughs> yeah. Jaquez Smith, eleven carries, twenty six yards. Again, a, a non-existent running game. Ahmad Anderson, nice game, four catches, seventy five yards and a touchdown, but. We, we don't know what happened. It looked at first like he might have made an incredible catch, one-handed catch, but he came down on his ankle. Don't know the status of, of his injury. Again, we'll find out. We'll find out more. But let, let's what, what we'll do, like I said, we don't really have great post-game audio to pass along to you guys. This is going to be a mailbag-heavy episode. You guys are venting. We're here to listen, provide some context. I'm a great listener. All right, so we'll find out if Declan Landis is actually a good listener in the mailbag here. So, What does that mean? <laughs> exactly it means exactly what you think it means. <laughs> Your listening skills are going to be tested. Fans are upset, justifiably right. so. So we need you to listen, be compassionate, and have some well-thought-out responses. Okay. I watched don't a try, lot of Dr. Phil, so I got Don't these. try to <laughs> fix things. Just listen. Absolutely. Okay? That's Dr. a lesson Phil. I've learned in life. Yeah, that's, Dr. Phil. Like, we were watching it the one time. We were. That? It was a good time. And you guys call me old. Anyway, first <laughs> question here from the screen name. These are from our Al Scoop 
<laughs> message boards. Uh, the first screen name is dblaze 75 Question here. Please give an assessment and review of the offensive and defensive coordinators this year, not just in the Tulsa game. And tell me if I'm wrong. Danny Langsdorf is often very predictable and the offense is quite vanilla. The cliche of putting your players in the best position to make plays does not seem to be happening with him. On defense, Everett Withers is not very aggressive and I'm not seeing many simulated pressures. We don't seem to be disguising much or sacks are way down this year. What's going on? Ramir, I'll let you take this one first. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> You're the football guy. I know. Look, guys, uh, I don't want to brag, but I knew I was going to get the first question here. <laughs> no big deal. So, yes, <laughs> I think both of those assessments of each coordinator had are fair. Long I don't know who calls plays. If it is Langsdorf, they got to do something. Motion is one of the things that I think they can take advantage of because of the fact that they have a guy with speed like Dante, Dante Wright, or John Adams. Even, well, they don't really give him any significant playing time. But well, they caught a touchdown last night. That's true. That's true. But having guys like that, kind of what, you know, the Dolphins do mm-hmm. with Tyreek Hill and what Mike McDaniels does. I'm not saying that, you know, Dante Wright is of the level of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Not at all. But you can – Mike McDaniels does a good job of using motion with a purpose and doing it to put his players in positions to succeed, to get open. I don't see any of that from Temple's offense. They'll use motion, but they don't use it with a purpose. You shouldn't only be using motion to determine whether it's man coverage or zone coverage. If they had the opportunity, Danny Lansdorf needs to use motion in a way that gets his players open instead of just using it to determine whether or not it's man coverage or zone coverage. Yes, the offense is very vanilla. But to be fair to him, offensive line doesn't protect well and EJ doesn't have enough time to actually sit back and let things develop. And how much of the playbook might that cut out? Yeah. He says, like, this clearly isn't working. I have to resort to this. Look, uh, follow-up question. This isn't in D-Blaze 75's question here. That first drive, they went tempo. They're throwing a lot, but they can't just throw 65 times a game. When they try to run, is that what slows them up and gets them out of rhythm? Where they're like, well, we're still not getting anything going in the run game here. Yeah. I mean, that first drive, again, they moved the ball. They didn't get seven points. They got three. Did running the ball, trying to establish the run, get them out of rhythm there? Yes. It's, it's, it's a shame to say because Stan has said it over and over again about how the core of their offense is running the ball. And I don't expect nothing else because, you know, he's former running backs coach, coach mm-hmm. a lot of good bet. But their strength is passing the ball. And I don't think it's a strength because they want it to be a strength. They were starting to utilize, excuse me, the tight ends on that first drive. Yes. I was going to cut in and say that because it was a 57-yard drive. How many yards of that went to the tight ends? 48. Right. 48 yards. We've been saying it all year. You're the only person in America who knows that they need to utilize their tight ends. I'm sorry. That was was mean. (laughs) You know I love you. This is is supposed to be an open conversation therapy thing for the scoop, and you're just going to, you know, jump on people's (laughs) opinions like that. That's not being a good listener. You don't count. You're part of the scoop staff. Fair enough. We need to... To cater to our to our listeners here, but yeah, I, I mean, that's all that's all true. I think that Danny Langsdorf is a little, little limited in what he can do. But again, no no offensive and defensive coordinator here is beyond criticism. Yeah, I would say on defense they miss 
they miss DJ Elliott. I don't know that I could disagree with that D-Blay 75. They, I don't know how much they're able to disguise. Again, time, place, circumstance dictates a lot of what they do. Losing Alan Hay is really, really going to hurt them. He was, you know, he got a sack last night. He was starting to come around. If he gets hurt, Conlon Green's a true freshman. He saw his snap count go way down last night. Leighton Jordan has just regressed. I mean, he really has. Like there, but I would agree with you. I'm not seeing a lot of creativity on defense. Now, again, if you get behind early, maybe you can't be as creative. But what's going on is that there's been some player regression. And yeah, I think especially in the defensive end, this could get really ugly. I just don't know where this is going to get better for them, especially with Alan Hay being out. So if you're saying, "Am I wrong?" No, I don't think you're. I don't think you're wrong. Again, I think Rymier did a great job of answering the question here, where you're limited by an offensive line that just isn't isn't moving people. They surrendered 16 pressures last week. I don't know what the count was last night, but but it wasn't great. But yeah, this is uh, not great. They've gotten worse on the offensive yeah. line. They went from you know having Isaac Moore and, and Adam Klein, Adam Klein to Stoffel isn't bad. I don't know if he's as good as Klein was. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying Klein was all world, but he was better than what Stoffel has been so far. And mm-hmm. anytime when you got two freshmen starting, especially on the same side, it's going to be bad mm-hmm. in a sense. So the offensive line is worse than it was last year. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's something that fans have taken into account. Second question here is from the screen name 82 Al. Where do we go from here? Seems like rock bottom and we don't have a plan. Too slow, too small, and just outclassed. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. I mean, is it rock bottom? I don't know. I mean, there's I don't, I don't know that it's I don't know that it's rock bottom, but next week it's UTSA. Things aren't going to get any easier if the offensive line continues to play poorly. If Alan Hay, if you're gonna be missing him, if you're going to be missing Ahmad Anderson. And here's the other thing I'm going to say, and and fans don't like hearing this. And I would assume that the majority of the fans listening to this podcast are diehards and they care. But I think just based off of what I see on a certain Facebook fan forum, sometimes the reaction is, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to stop giving money to the program. That's a big part of what got Temple here (laughs) in the first place. NIL isn't going anywhere. And I don't know how without NIL and those resources that this program is going to be able to recruit, develop, and retain difference-making players. And that's just, I think that people are like, oh, I'm just packing up my toys and going home. I don't blame somebody if they watched the game last night and saying, that was terrible football. I'm not going to the homecoming game. I get it. But you taking your toys and going home and taking money off the table or not, if you have the means to do so and not getting behind NIL efforts, it's not good. You see the disparity between Temple and Miami. We know that. But then last night against one of your conference opponents that you felt you should have been able to beat, you know, again, the coaches are not off the hook for this. Mm-mm. They were not they were not prepared last night. Mm-mm. They were not prepared. And that's on the coaches. Absolutely. It's on the players, yes, but it's also on the coaches. But to 82 Al's question here, where do we go from here? You know, we were talking about this before we started recording. All hypothetical. Let's say Luke Watson gets better. Xavier Irvin gets better. And a lot of your talented freshmen or younger players get better. 
every year you have to fight to keep these guys. Unless they really, really want to be at Temple, and maybe they do, and you, you, the coaches, yes, have to outline the vision, but collectives are going to put middlemen out there. Hey, would you be interested in playing for Coach So-and-so? If there's no NIL collective backing behind the program, they're in trouble. You, you've seen it. Like This has been going on for forever. Um, mm-hmm. Arnold Evichetti, Quincy Roche. And that was just when, with the advent of the portal. Yeah. And and you got to be crazy or like sleeping under a rock if you think that those guys didn't get any money from the programs that they went to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, in a sense, legal now. So this has been happening forever. Mm-hmm. It's just yep. that now you have a chance to make a difference. And right. like you said, taking your toys and going home isn't going to help the program. Right, right. And I, I, it's a tough line to walk because I don't – I don't know everybody's situation and you don't want to necessarily parachute in and tell people how to spend their money. But when, when fans react in a moat and I get it, the team loses, I wouldn't expect any fan to be happy with, you know, with 48 to 26, with 41 to seven, with the Rutgers game. I get it. People shouldn't accept losing, but it's going to get worse if people don't show up, if they don't take NIL seriously, if they don't like, that's the stuff that the, the same fan will be like, Oh, come Temple can't get into the ACC. How come Temple can't do this? How come the coaches can't go out and out-recruit Penn State? Like th- That's part of the reason. Again, the coaches are on the hook here for not having the team prepared and building some goodwill and energy. Last night was bad. Like I said, I keep saying it, and I'm not saying it to be hyperbolic. It was a disaster on several fronts. Where do they go from here? They have to find some more hits than misses. In this recent recruiting class, now again, and that could include the transfers. Maybe Alan Hay was on his way to being uh, on his way to being hit. He could be out for a long time. Where where do they get out of Conlon Green? You know, Richard Dandridge is hurt. That's a, that's a shame. You know, the, is Xavier Irving going to turn out to be a player? Are they going to get something from Luke Watson? But, you know, EJ Warner's story is still incomplete. Is Tyler Douglas behind him a guy that could? develop as a good quarterback but yeah too slow too small and just outclassed can't disagree with any of that like I said they were there were some times last night where they were just bad at shedding blocks where they looked like they weren't even and this sounds a little again I keep using the word hyperbolic but they looked like they weren't even trying too hard to shed blocks it's once they got behind they were behind that is the temple of old pre- Al Golden turning things around. It's like when it got bad, it got really bad, and there was no turnaround. That's the bad stuff that Stan Drayton has to figure out because if he doesn't figure it out, and again, I think Stan Drayton's very different than Rod Carey. He cares about players. This stuff does a much better job, whereas I think Rod came in. He was like, I'm going to do it my way. If you don't like it, you can go. We see how that worked out for him. But if this could get worse before or if it gets better, and then if you start losing some of the good young players that you do like, it's going to get tough. They can't just snap their fingers and say, "Oh, we're going to get, we're going to get three transfers from Pitt, four from Rutgers, and we're going to make everything good." Last night was alarming, and I don't know how right now where they go from from here. Where they need to go from here is go out and and surprise UTSA. But we can only go off of what we've seen, and I don't see that happening. Tu Al's thirty seven. Next mailbag question here. <sighs> this is uh, this is a tough one, but. I think it's one that, that we could address. Is getting rid of the football program a realistic option for Temple? This would be based on the annual deficit within athletics, lack of support, and the long history of failure and embarrassment. If they're still in the same place three or four years from now, uh, possibly. 
those are it's cliche as anything, but those are those are decisions that are made beyond all of our pay grades. But there is the Temple's athletic department is running at a substantial deficit right now. They're certainly not the only athletic department in America that's running at a deficit. I don't want to make them sound like they're an outlier. But yeah, this is where again, Temple's been caught on the wrong side and slow-footed on a lot of this stuff. NIL, development of facilities. They've been hit hard by a lot of things. I get that. But yeah, two, three years ago, if this question came up to you, I was 30, 37, I said, no, no, I don't think there's any realistic scenario in which Temple drops football. But if it keeps losing money, losing money, losing money, and there's no clear path forward, I can't say to you, and again, I'm not trying to put thoughts in people's minds here, but I can't sit here in my honest opinion for whatever it's worth and say, no, it'll never happen. I think it's something that that could be on the minds of of some people, and whether it happens or not, we'll see. But I can't sit here and say no, no, no. That's a ridiculous notion. Yeah, I agree. Don't want to see it happen. Yeah, at no. all. <laughs> you know, don't want to see it happen to the players, the coaches, the fans. It's a wonderful thing. Sorry to cut you off, Mary. Like mm-hmm. it's a wonderful thing when the program is playing well. Again, I, I will never forget looking around at the link for the 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 Temple Penn State game, seeing fans literally like grown men crying because they never thought they would see Temple beat Penn State. It was such a pride thing. Oh my goodness. Like, I mean, and then not only did they just beat Penn State, they embarrassed them. I mean, they just, Christian Hackenberg was getting sacked. It seemed like every other play. They were turning Temple's, uh, excuse me, Penn State's offensive line into turnstiles. That was, that was, if you were a Temple fan, that was a really fun, prideful thing to watch. And then the Notre Dame game, it wasn't just, oh yeah, they sold out the link, but it was 80% Notre Dame fans who were just growing up in, in Philadelphia. And what, what are you going to say? I mean, that was me. So, you know, relax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was exactly. at that game. What was your favorite class at Notre Dame, Declan Landis? Uh, well, my grandfather loved Notre Dame, John DiCarlo. So you know, I know, I, I know, I know. It is a prideful thing. But yes, but, I was there. And getting, I was one of those kids. But getting, yeah, so you're right. Getting back on track, I mean, Temple had a large, large fan base there. And they could have and should have won that game. But I mean, I remember, again, being at game day, standing there next to Kevin Nagandi saying, like, we never thought we'd see this. Because we were here, well, it was just a little after our time as students when the Board of Trustees voted on dropping the program and it passed by one vote. When you saw that, it was one of the more remarkable turnarounds in college football in America in the history of college football. But now they're in a bad spot again. So I can't say to any fan right now, no, it'll never happen. A lot would have to happen before that. But yeah, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but realistic, maybe not yet. But again, I don't want to tell you that could never happen. Next question here comes from the screen name Broad in Montgomery. Oh, no, actually, this I'm sorry. Excuse me. Broad in Montgomery's question was from Twitter. Was there a long player slash coaches meeting in Tulsa after the game last night? Saw a big gap of time there with the team landing at 6.30 a.m. this morning. To be honest with you, Broad in Montgomery, I don't know. I mean, Stan Drayton was quick with reporters last night. The, the internet connection wasn't great. He wasn't much in the mood to talk. I get that. That delay there, they, their flight could have been delayed. I don't know. So I honestly, honestly don't know. I'm just being dishonest if I say, oh yeah, there was. There, there could have been, but even so, and it, and if the players, if the players and coaches had a long discussion and there was a players only meeting, it's plausible, great. But what is it? What is it going to produce? If it produces something great, awesome for them, awesome for the coaches. I wouldn't be shocked if there was, but I don't know for sure. But even if so, 
it, let's let's see where it gets them. I, I think that sometimes when you see a game like this, where I don't know, maybe you're like I said, when when players who are good enough to be shedding blocks aren't shedding blocks, and when you're starting to see things that are are fundamentals, not scheme related, yeah, maybe that precipitates a players and coach or a players only meeting or a, a long team meeting. But you know, talk to me when it when it affects actual change. But I, I couldn't tell you, I mean, unless you guys have learned something in the last couple hours that, that I haven't. No, I just think like to, I guess, play devil's advocate for Broad Montgomery here. Like the, the fact that there weren't any honorary single digits named, right? Uh, it just seemed, you tweeted it, Mayor. Like it seemed like the team was kind of off for whatever reason. It just, there was a different vibe than we felt in the past few weeks. Maybe something did happen after the game because, you know, this is kind of a pivotal moment in the season. Not kind of. It is a huge moment, especially, you know, dating back to the spring. All we heard about is we're going to compete for the AAC championship. We're going to go out and win an AAC championship. And to have that be the first display, like, it would not shock me if, like, what Stan and other coaches have said with such a, a heavy leadership presence for different players on the team, like, if there was some sort of thing after the game, but I don't know anything. The fact that there were no, like that they didn't fill the number nine and the number four, that's some, that stuff leading up to the game. So maybe yeah, Stan knew I mean. this was coming. Mir, did you ask him about, who asked him, or maybe it was Hayden Mandel asked him about the thing, why were the four nines not uh, not filled and why did Taiwan Francis not wear the four? And he said he had some personal issues to sort out, right? So yeah, yeah I mean, maybe Stan just wasn't happy with the, you know, the way the team responded on a short week. But, yeah, not great. Not great. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, it's an interesting thing to point out. Well, and this is the first short week of Stan's coaching career, right, as a head mm -hmm. coach? Because yeah. they didn't have one last year, so. And the other thing, too, and, I, and I, again, I think a lot of people could say this, but I think it needs to be pointed out. The single-digit tradition is great. Awesome thing. The single digits need to, they can be great young men in the locker room, great leaders they have to play well oh yeah. yeah and if they're not playing well people you're not people aren't going to follow you they might think you're they might think you're a great person but if they're not playing well what's what's the juice behind it so obviously again anybody could say that but you know again like, like i said i i, I think Jalen mcmurray anytime i've talked to him he's been outstanding but Jalen mcmurray hasn't been playing obviously he didn't play last week any corner could get beaten coverage unless you're like a almost like a perfectionist, like a Sauce Gardner, who was like borderline perfect at Cincinnati, and is still really good. But if you're not going out there and and living it and being the example, people's attention spans and and, and that span or time span of appreciation is short. If you're not modeling the 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 performance on the field, it like I keep saying, it could get worse before it gets better. Screen name, what, what TU will you be drinking to get through this week's podcast? If yes, what is your drink of choice? No. Uh, I can't do that. So That's we're funny. a very professional outlet here. We're not. Drinking. Well, I'm also, it would be illegal. So I'm yeah. not doing it. No, we're not <laughs> drinking on the job. I mean, it's no, I mean, we can't, oh, this is going to sound like self-righteous, but no, we, we don't get that, that deep into it. It's fun to cover a winning team. It's good for us. Sometimes, sometimes fans get really angry during games, and they'll and they'll tweet you and get in your mentions and saying, "Oh, you guys like the negativity. It's good for no. It's not. When when Temple plays poorly, people will they'll say, "Ah, but I don't need this. I'm going to cancel my Al subscription." So no, 
that that's not good for us, but we have to kind of just be even handed and say, Hey, this is what it is. If they play well, they play well. If they don't, they don't. But yeah. no, I mean, I, I feel bad for the fan base because it's not what you guys want to be watching, but no, we are not drinking to get through this week's episode. This week's episode, geez, I, I sound that's like funny. I'm. I sound like I'm drinking. <laughs> no, not. I have a, I have a, I have a plastic bottle of Pone Spring water. Per sources, yes, no, this is water. It's a per source. Well, I'm really butchering this question. <laughs> this is terrible. No, not drinking. If I had a drink of choice, I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't care enough. (laughs) But you're not you're not supposed to. Yeah, you're not supposed to. So no, I mean there are you know, and I know what what to use. Just trying to have some some fun with this. But no, I think uh, there are the 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 serious things in life that would that would lead you to be like, hey, I need a little little glass of wine for this tonight. But temple losing. No, we Um, are uh, our drink. Hallmark movie. Hallmark movie. No, Hallmark movie. Yeah. Yeah. My grandmother loves a you know nice glass of wine in a Hallmark movie. So hey man, it's Hallmark movie season's coming up. <laughs> I guess it's never not Hallmark. Hallmark movie season, season is 365 days a year, my friend. Usually around Christmas, it's like the the successful like some woman who is like the CEO of a company and she goes home for like a family reunion my friend and she, that's ever and she meets her high school sweetheart <laughs> she's like to to maybe i can leave behind the hustle and bustle of manhattan to be home in topeka kansas you know the um if you go on google docs and you our apologies like, what what to you i know this was what you were looking for you could do like a, a make a copy in google docs mm-hmm. They that function is just all that the Hallmark people know. <laughs> yes. Make a copy, find and replace. Yep. And they're bangers every single time. You know, if it ain't broke. Eh, don't know about that. Yeah. yeah. They've got <laughs> no, the uh, Christmas movies, I need my classics. I can't watch Hallmark movies. Hey, you know, I understand, but also uh, you know, sometimes you just need to unwind. And Hallmark can, movies are perfect for that. I can unwind by watching the Grinch and watching You could Trump or down. you could watch, you know, the uh the guy from Big Time Rush um and his wife from Spy Kids and their incredible no adventures on a boat on a cooking show on a boat during Christmas time, I believe. What? It's yeah. a great one. What Rymir said. <laughs> what? What? That's a crazy no. premise, bro. That's a good one. We are drinking we are drinking water, water, and water to get through, yes, to get through this podcast. A ago. Yes, sir. And we appreciate every single one of your mailbag questions. I will not be drinking one of those energy drinks again because I'll be <laughs> I'll be up. Your for house the next would be seven. spotless if you drank half of it. I'll clean the kitchen countertops for a sixth time. <laughs> it's three AM, doesn't matter. <laughs> yes. All right, anyway, <laughs> Lone Star 2000 is the screen name for this this next mailbag question. After five games, what grade would you give the 2023 class of single digits, either as a group or individually, who has performed and who has underperformed? We Co- running through? I, we could run through the single digits if you want. I, I, I ascribe to like the Jeff McLean notion on this, the Inquirer reporter who covers the Eagles, and it's like, yeah, it's always easier to to just do a one-off of like, I'm going to grade this person until you watch film. We don't get all 22 film to watch, but yeah, Which. if you want to go through, you want to go through the roster here, and we could give them grades for whatever that's worth. I mean, sure. Here we go. You're oh, the yeah. boss. All right. Let's go through, let's go through the roster here of, of single digits. Vandy Rigby, number zero. Give him an incomplete because he's been hurt the past couple yeah. weeks. Because he's looked like decent in the time that he's played. I yeah. think he's still... yeah, he's a solid football player who was playing some really good football at the end of last season. Was playing decently to start the season. And he's been he's been hurt. He's been, he was the one guy who didn't return to the lineup last night. We should note again, 
they got blown out. Alex Odom was hurt in the fourth quarter against Miami, came back and did play. But Vandy were giving him an incomplete. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ian Stewart, you have to give him Ian Stewart, you have to give him an incomplete. Hasn't been able to play at number one. Yeah. Ed Sadie. Ah man, that's a D. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean Ed Uh, just you know, and I hate a part of me just hates giving grades to, to to college athletes, but yeah, I mean yeah. Ed Sadie has not been in a perfect world. Ed Sadie would be getting you 60, 70, 80 yards a game, a dependable back, and then you continue at that point to slowly ramp up the workload of a Jaquez Smith or something like that. But you could see, granted it was against Norfolk State, a clear difference between their running styles and they go in that direction. But yeah, I mean, Ed Sadie just hasn't been able to I think he's gotten slightly better as a pass catcher. And again, they were trying to go to him last night. They were trying to go to anybody and anything that could work, whether it was him, Darvon Hubbard, but he had a key block on the kick return. Though. He did. Yes, so, he did. And yeah. Hey, you know what? That was one. I know it's not going to carry people through the day. Sam Martin, great kickoff return. First he's one since, since 2018. 2018 since Isaiah, right? Yep. Against UConn. Yeah. Ah. Uh, uh, so yeah, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> a good well you know what i'll say this and again people are going to say like i'm bright siding things at that juncture in the game fred sadie did spring a key block on that play i mean a lot of times when when it, when you start getting beat down and you're on the road that's when you start seeing things fold is really like then special teams get out of control and for them to respond that way and, and for someone like ed sadie to look around and be like i'm not the lead back um this is my last season things have not gone my way Again, this sounds so cheesy for him to 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 buckle down and block on a yeah. on a play that that springs a, a touchdown return. Good for him. It show um what's the word I'm looking for? Selflessness. Yeah. And which is essentially what you want. For that, I, I'd give him like a C minus right now, for whatever grades are worth. Yeah. Declan. Yeah, I'm cool with a C minus. I think that's good. I gave him a D. It's, it's just the the play and what he was supposed to be and supposed to do this year didn't happen and two other backs have done it better great that he's embraced you know the role i don't know if he's embraced it i'm not in the locker room but it looks like he you know embraces the role Mm -hmm. and you know he's out there being selfless and making plays on special teams to spring a guy like sam martin for a touchdown so Mm -hmm. that that counts for something Mm -hmm. but in terms of just giving grades for what you're supposed to do um, a D. Mm-hmm. EJ Warner. This is really tough. Not for me. <laughs> I know it's not for you, but like, because there's a lot of circumstances as well, right? Like, You're right. You're right. Yes, he has played inconsistently. And, you know, I was writing for the Temple News, did some research. He's like bottom 10 in the country yeah. in quarterback efficiency. But also, like, how much time is he getting to throw the ball? Yep. How yeah. much time is the offense really getting to develop? Not much. Not much. And, you know, the run game has has struggled, which he has mentioned, like, takes the pressure off of him. So, like, I don't know. I, I'm anxious to hear what you guys think. Still giving him a C. And then I'm just going to piggyback off what you Still said. Still giving him a C because I think he's made his uh, his share of mistakes. Yeah, that was But, again, you're not, you're not telling the full story. You know, again, like, he was pressured 16 times two weeks ago, and I think that uh, was it Bryce Toman allowed a lot of those pressures? I mean, again, pressure's pressure regardless of what 
right. direction right. is coming right. from. When it's coming from the gut of the line, like that's that's, <laughs> that's the that's hardest to deal with. Yes, yeah. yes, because it's the quickest. It's yep. right in your face. It's yeah. the hardest. So to do. you're not were were for us to say like, oh, give him a D or an F. Like he just, uh, you can you could see on that first drive, tempo was working, getting the tight ends involved. When he has time, what quarterback wouldn't benefit from this but when he gets some time to throw and they get into a tempo and a rhythm you're like oh yeah this looks like the guy who was throwing for 400 plus yards on the road at houston last year yeah i don't think he's suddenly lost his talent but again i think that offensive line has regressed yeah. we're still telling some of the same stories on offense but i i can't give him anything more than the c right now i'm trying to factor everything in and provide the right amount of context i think once you start getting that pressure in your head and it's physical and it's mental you're starting to anticipate things going wrong mm -hmm. on that one play i gotta find xavier irvin if he just dumps it off makes the i don't even call it the safe throw to darvon hubbard would have been the right throw they get in there for a touchdown do they still probably lose yeah but i give him a c yeah i mean that was my gut reaction too was that you know i mentioned it like he has played inconsistent but also you know so i think i think c is fair because you know we haven't really gotten his full potential i feel like because he just hasn't been the right circumstance for it i mean if i'm gonna stay fair y'all essentially changed my mind because um i think it's well documented how i feel about um ej warner well documented across all seven continents <laughs> everybody knows people in, people in antarctica know That's how Ramir vaughn feels about ej warner we bought one of those planes with banners like we saw at rutgers <laughs> with the jersey shore on it yeah, <laughs> just the yeah, beach man i was in, in sea isle i saw, I'm here, I saw your banner <laughs> that was crazy yeah i think how you doing bro <laughs> <can't>. <laughs> i love getting you guys with just little stuff like that that's funny <laughs> i think ej is a is a decent quarterback right and like i said to stay fair you have to take everything into consideration mm -hmm. because of the fact especially football is the ultimate team sport no one on the field can do their job without someone else right and i, I mentioned it earlier the offensive line has gotten worse mm -hmm. so you can expect some regression from ej and has he made throws when he had time not all the time mm -hmm. when ej misses he, he usually misses high and he misses um long mm -hmm. and there's been times where he's had clean pockets mm -hmm. or clean enough at least yep and he's missed the throw yep so that's on him mm -hmm. but a lot more often than not there's a guy in his face yeah and he's trying to he's trying to you know it's crazy <laughs> he's trying to hit he's trying to sit in the pocket and you know keep his fundamentals with with people bearing down on him and mm -hmm. that's, that's hard to do especially if it happens once every you know three drop back so i i agree and give him a c david martin robinson 15 catches 176 yards really through five games yep 15? I feel like it's less. He had six catches for 48 yards last night. Okay. Yeah. One catch for 19 yards against Norfolk State, four for 58 at Rutgers, four for 51. Does it give you targets on I your I don't stats? have the targets from last night. We could get them from PFF, but. That's okay. Um, David Martin Robinson. I feel like when he's targeted, one of two things happen. It's either a drop or you know it's it's a catch and it doesn't really go for much um a lot of the times his drops are a little high because when ej throws across the middle sometimes like that's where a lot of his high throws happen luckily a lot of them haven't been picked off but 
some of them DMR gets his hands on. And yes, it's a high throw. When his throws are high, it's like, I get it. You you get your hands on it. If you get your hands on it, you got to make the catch. And it's it's so hard for me to judge DMR. Because when, he, when he's targeted, like, sometimes it, sometimes good things happen. And I, I, I see, I can't give him more than that. And I don't want to give him less because some of his throws are inaccurate. Ta- targets are inaccurate. So yeah. I was going to give him C plus. Yep. That's what I would give him. Still yeah. think he's a, I think he's still a good viable route runner over the middle of the field. Yeah. Still prepares. And with know. everything you said, he's probably been one of the more reliable receivers or at least pass catchers on the team so far this year. So I think for that, like maybe that's grading on a curve, but I think it's a C plus. Number six, Jordan McGee. It's another tough one. It is. Some games I feel like he plays well, and there's games where I feel like he doesn't. But I will also say availability is the best ability, and he's been out there every week. And like you said, it's hard because there's also it, a lot going wrong around him too. Yes, it's it it varies. It's, it's hard to give you know single grades because <laughs> I'm not only grading him. Like right. I'm also great in like the things I have to take into account the things that go on around him, mm-hmm. but he's missed some tackles. He's yeah. missed some gaps. I'm gonna give. <laughs> I'm gonna give him a C. I can't. I can't. I can't go higher. Yeah, or lower. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give McGee B minus because I think overall as a football player, I think he is the best your individual talent on that on that defense and I think a lot has gone wrong around him again anybody could tell you that but I think some of this stuff becomes contagious and you know when when other things are going on wrong around you you overcompensate you do and again it's exactly what you're not supposed to do as a football player you have to maintain gap discipline and but I'll give him a B minus but I'm not disagreeing with anything you just said about him yeah, I'll split the difference. I'll go C plus. I think you know it's a combination of what you both have said. Difference. What? I'll split the difference. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you, you went C, you went B minus, C plus. There you go. Um, I do. I agree with you, John. I think he's been probably the best player on the defense so far, mm-hmm. and that's maybe that's because Vandy got hurt. Maybe it's you know, but yeah, I mean, there's no question that that linebacker unit, which we had talked about, is probably the best unit on the team aside from tight ends has not even close to live up to its potential and whether earned or not, he's the face of that. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think C plus is, is fair because he has played well, but it just has not been at all what we expected coming into this year for that unit. Number seven, Jalen McMurray. This is who I think is the best player on that defense. Yeah. You're going to give up touchdowns. Mm Mm-hmm as a corner it's going to happen right it's it's the hardest position to play in football you're you're going to get beat at some point and he's done a good job of Mm -hmm. being able to keep receivers in front of him being able to not allow catches not only is he you know blanket coverage but he also gets past deflections when Mm -hmm. the ball comes when the ball does come his way now does he give up some plays we talked about it earlier yes Mm -hmm. um he gave up what one was it one or two touchdowns last night one? gave up the first one the elijah first one clark for sure. elijah clark remember. got beaten badly on the second one i don't remember i think he second. i think he gave up another big catch at some point during yeah. the game he probably did yeah 
but like I said, those those things happen, mm-hmm. and I can't fault him for that, especially because he's you know the overall body of work he's been so good and. I wish we were able to see him against um, Miami. Miami. So I was just yeah. going to say, I would have liked to have seen him against some of the receivers. It would have been, I don't want to say like a true test because again, there's more stuff going on wrong around you where they could like Tyler Van Dyke could say, all right, oh, okay. This is hypothetical. Let's say he was, if they were going to choose to say, hey, you're going to follow Xavier Restrepo around on the field. I don't know that that's necessarily what they would have done, but he still has, he still has other options. And, and, I think, and he's going to be the next guy we get to, Alex Odom and the safeties. There have been communication issues on the back end, too. So, what'd you give him? B plus. B plus. I was going flat B, but I do like B plus. I think, and I'm I'm right there with you, I would have liked to see him against Miami. But Akron had some pretty talented receivers. And he was a big reason why they yeah. didn't get mm-hmm. more than 40-something yards in that second half. Like, he, he, I thought, has played really well. And... You know, everybody has a bad game, right? And mm. you said it. Corners are on an island. Like, you know, you're going to get plays made on you at times. But I think he's just – he's played really well. Um, and it's it's more of a product of, you know, he can't be covering every single receiver at the same time. So I, I've liked what I've seen from him this year. And I I, I think I'm going to go just flat B for, for that reason. I'll give him a flat B. I mean, he still got beat last night. It was an important <laughs> play early on. Yeah. But I mean, again, a lot, and again, a lot of these players we're talking about, they're, they're, they're really, really solid guys who are going through a tough season right now. Yeah. And as Ramir said, when other things aren't going on around you, it affects your game, but I'll give Jalen a B. Alex Odom. C minus. I don't think he's necessarily played well. And I don't think the group around him has played well mm-hmm. either. Safety was a concern. I I thought coming mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. to to the year, um, Taiwan Francis has proved himself um, to at least be their best piece mm-hmm. in that room. He's probably the second best, you know, player in the secondary. He is the second best player in the secondary, and that helps because he can do so many different things. But there's time and time again, I see I'll see Odom come down and he might a bad pursuit angle mm-hmm. or he'll just miss a tackle in general or, you know, busted coverage on the back end. And I'm like, okay, you are the last line of defense as mm-hmm. a safety. If everyone else can mess up, you for sure can't. You're the only mm-hmm. person who, who cannot mess up. And it's not just him because it happens with all the safeties on the roster, but C minus I think is, is fair for him. Just because I, I do believe out of everyone else, his individual play hasn't been, besides Sadie, his individual play hasn't moved me in any way. Ditto. Yeah. I would just add, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but Stan has said a couple times this season that... I need more out of my safeties. He was saying it in August. Well, yeah, but I was I was thinking more that communication breakdowns mm-hmm. have kind of stemmed from the safety position. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you're going to have a single digit in the backfield or excuse me, in the secondary, uh, you would assume that that communication is coming from him, right? As a safety, they're kind of, you know, laying out the defense. Uh, so if you point the finger to that, you know, that kind of brings his grade down too, because, you know, if you have that kind of responsibility as a player on the team, like you have to live up to that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, like I said, but 
I think that also plays into it. He Stan has called them the quarterback of the defense. If you're going to be the quarterback of the defense, you're going to have to take the same amount of criticism that the actual quarterback does, and that's what's happening. Yeah, here. I mean those are those are all the the true single digits. Again, Taiwan Francis has worn a single digit for some games. But I don't know if we grade him because he hasn't. Yeah, whatever happened well, this week, you know. We haven't talked Victor Stoffel. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Victor Stoffel. Yeah, he's not wearing a single digit during the games. See. I don't know how and I, I like Vic. I don't know how you can give him anything more than I'm willing to give him like a. I'm willing to give him like a C plus because he's not. I don't know. It's you know he's had well he's the one guy on the line that's had the most consistency of like playing next to since week one. Or since week two, excuse me, he's had Wisdom Quarshi next to him. But again, I mean, Stan Drayton said it himself last week. I asked him, how's the right side of your line playing mm-hmm. with specifically Victor and Wiz? He's like, not good enough. I don't know. I'll give him a C plus. I was going to go C minus. Like mm-hmm. you said, he, he gave, he was very, it's funny because with the left side, because you also asked about the left side. With the left side, he was very understanding is the word that I'm right. going to say. They're I'm freshmen. more disappointed in these guys being more, yeah. So I get that. They're essentially freshmen. Everyone mm-hmm. over there is essentially a freshman. Mm-hmm. But he was very blunt and honest about his right side, which yep. are the vets of the group. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense why he was so, you know, I, I need more from them. Mm-hmm. And he, he obviously, he's the coach. He watches the film. He wasn't mm-hmm. lying. Like, mm-hmm. we could all see it with our eyes. He Again, like you said, it's hard to judge just based mm-hmm. off of you know it's a it's a team sport. He needs he needs Wiz, he mm-hmm. needs him. But I do think I do think Victor played decent last night. Mm-hmm. He by far wasn't their worst offensive lineman. Yeah, but he also does need to improve his play as well. C minus is all I can give him. Yeah, I'm with him on that. Not a great report card <laughs> for the single digits. Yeah, no. Next. Mailbag question here from the screen name New England Al. What is the coaching staff? Now we're shifting the basketball. What is the coaching staff looking to do in the 2024 class? Is Temple in the mix with Dylan Batie? Now Dylan Batie is the son. We reported this last weekend. Dylan Batie is the son of former Temple forward Derek Batie, and he's the nephew of Tony Batie, who played for Texas Tech and in the NBA. Dylan Batie was in for an official visit last week, as was Isaiah Pasha. So with the 2024 class, those are the two top names. I would say arguably they're two top priorities. Are they in the mix for Dylan Batie? Yes, they are in New England now. And I would say they're, they're fairly in the mix there. Now he's gone on. He's got some offers from programs like, like Illinois. He's got a you know, pretty decent offer sheet here. He's got Illinois. He's got Colorado State. He's got Ole Miss, a program that, that's coming into play, Temple, later on this year. I believe that he was set for now he's visited Oklahoma State already. He is supposed to be, as far as I know, visiting Oklahoma this weekend. I was told by a lot of people I trust last week that his visit went really well. But, you know, the one thing he didn't do was commit yeah. out of that visit. So whether Temple closes the deal at some point, uh, I'm I'm not sure, you know. Trying to predict that stuff unless you get really, really solid information is tough. But yes, they're in the mix for him. Dylan Batie and Isaiah Pasha, who's now at um, at St. Thomas More, doing a post grad year up there after playing at Cardinal O'Hara. 
both in for visits last week. Those would probably be the two names at the top of their board for 2024. And then kind of going portaling after that, going hard after the 2025 class. Again, I think Ramir, guys on our staff have done a great job covering that, that 2025 class so far. Those are the two names. They're in the mix with them. Where it goes after that, not sure. Temple fan Al with the next mailbag question here. Way too early starting five predictions for uh, basketball. Too early, but not super early. We're hoping to get to practice next week. Hoping to talk to Adam Fisher next week. Get a couple players for you as well. Way too early starting five. Do you have one, Declan? Hold on, wait. That was news. <laughs> I That's don't know news. Breaking. I mean, it's just <laughs> breaking. We'll be up right. I mean, we're not setting up shop there and doing the podcast from from practice. Oh, that'd but, be sweet. Yeah. Um, Steve Settles in there. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think Hysir. Yes, of course. I think Jaleel. Yes. You missing a wing and a guard? Quante. You Quante? think Quante starts shooting guard? Doubt it. Really? I, but I, here's the, your starting five so far: is Steve Settle, Hysir Miller, Jaleel White, Quante Barry. Maybe. Well, no, because yeah. you probably need a. You put Piccarelli there. Yeah, that's the, what I was thinking. They a, need a shooter. Like a, yeah. But then do you put him at what position? It, they'll have a small backcourt. Yeah. But. Right. So you're Declan starting five, whether he likes it or not. Steve Settle, Isaiah Miller, Jaleel White, Quante Berry. Well, I'm probably going to take Quante out now. But I can't, for the life of me, think who else would be starting. Zion? Ah, he's, he's so young. So is Quante Berry. Quante Berry has also missed some time in the offseason with a wrist injury. So True. I You know what? They've been really high on Zion, at least so we've heard. He's made a lot of improvements this mm-hmm. summer. I could see him starting. I just don't know that I'll put him in my five just yet. You have a starting five, Mir? Um, Hasir, John, Saddle for sure. I'm going to put Zion in there because mm-hmm. who else do they have? <laughs> do they yeah. have another wing? I need a guard and. See, that's my issue. It's as much as much as I want to put Matteo Piccarelli in at the two. I just think that pre- presents a whole lot of problems on the defensive end with him and Hasir being very small. It it doesn't necessarily matter. Like you can um Cavs, for example. Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are two very, very good players. Defensively they get worked. Also, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. I, I get that, but I'm just saying in terms of size. Okay. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. In terms of size, they get worked on defense. And yeah. I don't know. Based based off of what Fish likes to do, Piccarelli is nice. I do kind of like the idea of Piccarelli off the bench, though. That, that's a perfect spot for him. Yeah, I just don't know who you put in the lineup over him. That's my only issue. It goes against everything Fish wants to do if you put anyone else in there. Right. That's my thought. So... I'm going to go with the old adage of it's not as important who starts but who finishes games, which was a big Fran Dunphyism, but now we're co- two coaches removed from him. My best educated guess is starting five is Steve Saddle, Heisey Miller, Charlie Old White, Zion Stanford. And I think that I was starting to hear, and again, this was in July, August, when they were doing workouts and but talked to some people here and there. I think they were toying with the idea of saying, hey, like to get some size out there, let's get Emmanuel Ocpomo out there. I could totally see them starting – Emmanuel Pomo just to get some size out there. I think, okay. you know, first wave of substitutions, it could be like, yeah, you're bringing Matteo Piccarelli off the bench. You're bringing Shane Dazzoni off the bench because Adam Fisher wants to, wants to push the tempo and he wants to shoot a lot of threes. Your starting lineup 
doesn't have a knockdown three-point shooter right. on it. I mean, Steve Settle can it got became a better three-point shooter at Howard. Uh, Hysier has been inconsistent at best. Jaw didn't hit a single three last year. I think you'll see a more confident Jaleel White. I'm not promising a, a Jaleel White that shoots in even the, the low to mid-30s from three-point range. Zion Stanford, they've been really impressed with so far. Again, he is a true freshman, and he's going to make true freshman mistakes. But as of now, that would be my best guess at a starting five. I'm not expecting to talk to Adam Fisher next week and to say, John, here's our starting five. It's almost kind of like a... It's a fun question to ponder. It's kind of like a not necessarily a useless one for a coach to, to ponder at this point. But what if he does though? What if he pulls you aside and says, Hey John, tell tell the loyal Al Scoop fans <laughs> this is who we're running. But only make sure that they they have to pay for it to like, you know, to find out. Yeah, for what would cut. you do? It's <laughs> a very simple answer to this question, Declan. I would go to our basketball message board and say and say Adam Fisher told me that Temple plans to start these five players. I'm not good at the hypotheticals. No, that's a, you need to go to you that's need to okay. go to Kyle Gauss's hypothetical camp. I'd love. He'll to. help you. That He'll would be you. a privilege. Yeah. <laughs> a couple more mailbag questions here to close things out, and the, the other one here. Uh, this this we kind of answered this one already. Tu Owls fan 2004. Any update with Dylan Batie and Isaiah Pasha's recruitment with their timelines? I don't know that either one of them have definitive timelines. We're hoping to catch up with both players. We'll see what happens there. I I. Neither one of them has announced a commitment date. We'll have to see, but I don't know of any definitive timelines for him. TU Owls fan 2004 has another question for us, and it's going to close things out here. Can you wear white pants after Labor Day? My question to you, Declan Landis, is do oh you even do you own a pair of white pants? Absolutely not. I could never trust myself with the, you know, Staining my clothes runs in my family. Okay, like I could not, I could not trust myself in white pants. I had a white tie one time. Mm-hmm. Looked sick until I got like chocolate on it from looked something. Sick. It looked great. Like sick I looked communion tie, bro. <laughs> yeah, I was you know styling and profiling during the Easter season, like fourth grade. But uh, no, I I could not wear. I'll white go pants. to mass twice this morning, mom. I got my white tie. <laughs> you want to hit the ten thirty mass and noon mass? Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> If you insist. Yeah. As long as I get to wear my, my sunglasses, I got a JCPenney. White um, is such a clean color. I don't want to wear What's those. that? White is such a clean color. Yeah, like, like if you I, can pull it off. Do you own white pants? I own white shorts. Yeah, I have like white shorts. I don't have white pants. My thing with fashion though is, right? There right, right. There <laughs> my thing be, with fashion is, right? As long as you're not like hurting other people or hurting yourself, like you should be allowed to wear what you want. Right? Yes. Like there yes. should be no rules. I think clothes are genderless. They're they're ageless. You know, if you can if you can wear something and you can wear it with confidence and pride and feel good about yourself, you should wear it. So, TU Owls fan 2004, if you want to wear white pants whenever you want to wear them, wear them. You know, if you know what it what did Prime used to say, look good, feel good, feel good, play good, play good, pay good. Mm-hmm. I live by that. Is that the strongest mailbag question answer that Declan Landis has ever delivered? He said it with a lot of evictions. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Yeah. Because, you know, we have these conversations sometimes where I'll say, hey, you know, maybe I'll try this on. And sometimes it's in jest and sometimes it's not. And, you know, people are like, no, you can't wear that. And I'm like, why not? Yeah, you know, so you I can wear get, whatever you want. These, these are things I think about. Same same for you, Mayor. Yeah, you can wear whatever you want. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. If you throw it on, throw it on. Cool, so we're all wearing white pants next week. Matching white pants and quarter zips at the game? 
We gotta, we gotta. That'd be out. great. We would look like <laughs> we become, we become a Mar- we become a Martha's Vineyard podcast. <laughs> What's up, everybody? We're at Inkwell Beach and uh, talking Temple football. We would several be, hundred miles south of us. But we were already talking about becoming a band. You know, this is this is the first step here. This matching outfits. Vermeer and I already formed a band, and you didn't make the cut. <laughs> What do you mean I didn't make the cut? How can I put it any plainer than that? <laughs> you didn't make the cut. What the heck? We recruited some other members and you're not one of them. Well, my fault. But <laughs> my your, fault. Your pair of white pants is in the mail. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'd say, yeah, wear, I, I don't, yeah, sure. Wear white pants after Labor Day. Yeah. You can wear a t-shirt in 10 degree weather if you want. You're going to be cold as hell, but hey. People do, do it. Do. Yes. <laughs> People do yes. it. So, well, like we said, mailbag heavy episode of the scoop wanted to be here for you guys in your time of need can't promise you that things are going to get much better well football basketball's around the corner it is adam fisher's first season don't know that they're an ncaa tournament team but some newness new staff new things to cover you got that to look forward to coach rich's second year yeah yes. and we are going to be yeah i'm pumped for that yes me too speaking of coach rich she had a five-star recruit in for an unofficial visit at the miami oh, yeah. game Kimmy mcmiller again We'll see what happens there. I have been told by a couple sources I trust that there there's a good chance that they could get her in for an official visit. Again, with recruiting, you either get the player, you don't get the player. But I have a lot of respect for Diane Richardson. They're, they were very much in a transitional season last year in her first year. A lot of a lot of players leaving the program, going through those changes. Tip of the cap to her for getting a five star player in her top seven. Yes. Temple's in her top seven. And again, there are the haves and have-nots in women's college basketball. You would put Temple in the have-nots. Even when Dawn Staley was here, they're still not drawing like UConn is, like other programs are. Whatever Diane Richardson is doing in terms of being charismatic and genuine, connecting with their players, it is working. Yes, they got to win more games, but I want to acknowledge that. That's a it's a huge deal. If you want to yeah. see, speaking to the Temple fans, like if there's anyone you need to back, it is Coach Rich. Mm-hmm. She is fantastic as a person. She is fantastic as a coach. I love covering her. I love watching, you know, her teams play when when they're hitting shots, at least. And <laughs> if they can go out there and get Kiyomi McMiller, this is big for the program. And put your Owl Club subscription money and your t- Tough Fun subscription money or whatever to go to Diane so she can get some people in here actually do some damage she's got an impressive offer sheet and those programs might have some nil resources that might be hard to turn down but we'll see you know getting her in for an unofficial visit was big getting her in for an official visit would be even bigger but wanted to talk about that too as we talk about looking ahead to basketball and even the wins that she's already gotten right savannah Mm -hmm. curry adina webster to name a few like Mm -hmm. those are some big names as well in the Mm -hmm. 2024 class so she's doing some huge things i will say this there are a couple programs on this campus that are really turning things around for Temple. She's 100% one of them. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll be talking more basketball in the future. Next week, we will preview, like I said, we wanted to do more of a reaction podcast this week. We thought there wouldn't be much shelf life to having a podcast on a Monday or Tuesday, and two days later, you got a new game. So, again, really didn't touch on the Miami game all that much. By now, you guys know the deal. They got overpowered. Yeah. 
the bigger story now is what they did not do against Tulsa last night as we sit here on Friday talking about. So next week, we'll have more basketball for you. We'll have a preview of the UTSA homecoming game. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you for all the mailbag questions. Thank you to Greenspan and Greenspan Injury Lawyers for their sponsorship of The Scoop. We'll talk to you guys soon.